Welcome to a podcast from Hope Church Glasgow. For more about us, check out hopechurchglasgow.org. Hi there, welcome to the Hope Podcast. I'm Andy Merrick and uh, glad you joined us for this episode. We're starting today on a, on a new series uh, of teachings that we're going to go through on this podcast. Uh, now, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God and it, it feels really timely to talk about this. Um, it, it, I mean, there's no time that's a bad time to teach and better comprehend the kingdom of God. But uh, I just want to give you some thoughts why why this is important, why it's important right now. Um, I guess in the time we're in, uh, when this is being recorded, it's the it's COVID season, it's pandemic, and a lot of the prophetic and a lot of the sense we're getting is that it's a time of reset and even relaunch for a lot of believers and a lot of the church. And, and if we're in that place of remembering, resetting, refreshing, it's really important that, that we refresh our key priorities and we focus on our key, our key mission uh, and don't get distracted uh, by something fanciful or novel uh, just because we've been in such a difficult season. So that, that, that's a, a reason for looking at this issue of the kingdom. I just want to give you, uh, give you some scripture as we go through this. I want to give you actually five whys. Uh, not the, so the first why, if you like, is the season that we're in. And just a, a scripture that was being used a lot at the beginning of the pandemic was uh, believers and leaders I was talking to were talking about the scripture in Hebrews 12 that says this, uh, at that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised that once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet, yet once more, indicates the removal of removal of things that are shaken sorry that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and let us offer to god acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our god is a consuming fire and as we were alluding to this at the beginning, we perhaps weren't saying that the pandemic is from God, but he's certainly using it to shake things up, or the pandemic itself is shaking things up, including in the realm of Christian ministry and Christian church. What it tells us is something about the kingdom, which is the kingdom that we're receiving, the kingdom of God, cannot be shaken even in the midst of shaking. So, And I think what we've seen in pandemic is things getting shaken and it's made us examine our foundations and our purpose. And uh, the things that won't be shaken are the things that are founded on the kingdom and are pursuing the kingdom. Um, So people's lives, businesses, ministries, churches, organisations, relationships, the ones that are seeking the kingdom and are founded on its principles, they're going to endure, they're going to survive, even thrive in such difficult seasons. Uh, but all of us actually have got mixture. All of us will have things where actually you know, it's not quite as godly or not quite as kingdom of God or not quite as aligned with his purpose as I thought I was. And in this season, we've perhaps discovered that uh, more sharply, more clearly. Uh, and so let's discover more of what the kingdom is that cannot be shaken, that we are receiving, that we can build better lives, churches, ministries, businesses, organisations going forward, that we do family, etc., in a more sustainable, more durable way. Because it's quite possible that 
you know, just the 18 months or two years of this pandemic is not the end of the difficulties we face. The pandemic itself is creating economic, social and other challenges. So it's really a time to know we're building with something solid. So that's the first point, really, the first reason for let's having a look at this, this thing called the kingdom of God, which is unshakable in times of shaking. The second reason is that the kingdom of God was the central message of of Jesus. Um, this, this is particularly clear in the Synoptic Gospels. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, um, it, the kingdom's actually only mentioned twice in, in John. And we'll come to that. There's a reason for that. But but everywhere else, it, it, Jesus mentions it or talks about it over a hundred times. Here's some examples. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's Mark 1, 4, 14 to 15. He also said he went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom that's matthew 4 23 um so he's he core central to jesus's message was the demonstration and proclamation of the kingdom of god and this this idea that the kingdom is now at hand um and if we just refer to john for a moment it doesn't mention the kingdom very much we do know what he says is that Jesus is only saying what the, he hears the Father saying. So if he's preaching a lot about the kingdom, it's obviously very important for the Father, to the Father that we hear and understand the kingdom uh, and align with its message and its impact. So that's number two, the kingdom of God was the central message of Jesus. Uh, number three is that we are actually charged with the job of continuing preaching the gospel of the kingdom now sometimes we just say we're here to preach the gospel and that that is true but that somehow truncates the task that we have been given the gospel of the kingdom is just a bigger idea than simply telling people they need to repent believe in jesus and and be, get saved be born again all of that is good all right that that but 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 the kingdom gospel the gospel of the kingdom is that plus 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 and matthew 24 14 says this this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come and again seasons like this lots of people uh talking about end times type ideas eschatology is the fancy word for it and when will jesus come back and things like that and, and there are seasons of that every, every season of church life um there's something bubbles up that gets us interested in that theme and of course we should believe in the return of the victorious king jesus but this is telling us there's a as a, a, a conditionality on that that this gospel of the kingdom so important that we know what this kingdom thing is will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come okay so there's a there's an assignment to complete before the return of christ that that's focused centrally focused on this gospel of the kingdom and the fact that it'll be proclaimed to all nations and na nations is ethnos so all people groups so for instance india is probably the home of the most unreached people groups on the planet the gospel has been preached into India for more than a hundred years, 
but not all people groups have had the gospel preached to. So it wouldn't be sufficient to talk to the Lord and say, hey, we went to India, we preached the gospel of the kingdom, we displayed it, we did what we needed to do. It's done now, let's tick that one off. No, this is ethnos, it's people groups. So like all those cultures, languages need to have experienced this thing called the gospel of the kingdom. And, and this is quite pivotal to the ushering in of, of the of the end so to speak and and we see that, that that the apostles took this seriously we see it in the life of paul the very last verse of the book of acts where paul is still under house arrest in rome it simply says that he was proclaiming the kingdom of god and he was teaching about the lord jesus so it was a focus of his life and i would suggest to you that that actually paul was not a church planter I know some of you drop the mic moments, but he was actually a, a kingdom preacher and a kingdom displayer. And the fruit of doing that was that churches were established. We'll probably return to that in a, another point in the series where we're going to look at kingdom and church and how they relate. So number four reason for looking at the kingdom is we are to pray for its coming it would be really helpful to know what we're praying in and what it looks like when it comes so uh, jesus teaches his disciples to pray in what we call the lord's prayer except it probably isn't the lord's prayer because in it he deals with uh, asking for forgiveness and we know he was sinless so i think it's probably the disciples or the apostles prayer anyway that's that was a side bond that was for free uh matthew 6 10 we're told to pray our Father, you are in heaven, you are in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're, we're, this is a key focus of our prayer. What is that? What does it look like? Number five reason to, to just to dig into the kingdom again is we are, we are commanded in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you and that all these things is the list of the things a lot of us spend a lot of our time getting you know clothes and money and shelter etc so what does it mean to seek first the kingdom what does that look like well if we understand the kingdom uh, then that gives us a better opportunity to give our lives to the right focus to the right purpose uh, and there's plenty of distraction and plenty of things to divert us from that focus. And number six, uh, no, we did this already. I was going to say number six, but really we already did this. It's the unshakable reality in a shaking world. So we got that. We got that in. There was really only five. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let, let's just try and get into. A little bit of the background so in the new testament uh, john the baptist appears so he appears before jesus to announce the coming of the messiah who was jesus and he preaches this message he says repent for the kingdom of heaven is near that's from matthew 3 verse 2 and following repent for the kingdom of heaven is near so so he was speaking to a culture to a, a nation that had some pre-existing expectations of the kingdom of heaven that were built on information they had from the Old Testament, particularly things like the prophecy in Daniel chapter 2. Some of you may be familiar with that, but 
Nebuchadnezzar has seen this huge statue made of different elements uh, and they represent the different kingdoms of the world and then this small stone appears and starts chipping away at the statue and basically over time the stone becomes huge and the statue is demolished. Um, so there was two there's two broad interpretations that were held at the time of John the Baptist two broad interpretations and expectations about the kingdom of God the first one was that a king would come and restore the kingdom to Israel a bit like it had been under the reign of David that she would be released from her oppressors particularly at this point the Roman rule and in Amos 9 it describes the restoration of Israel's fortunes in this term in terms of this world like new wines vineyards ruins rebuilt etc and Daniel's kingdom was this this stone sorry Daniel's vision was this stone crushing other kingdoms so many interpreted that in a sort of military way and for some you know any blow against Rome was a blow for the kingdom of God and so you had these mini uprisings occurring in Israel and the second perspective was that there was a new age to come uh, by that they meant it would God meant this that God would break in in some sort of catastrophic way and introduce a new age in which all the evils of the present age w would would be gone and literally Isaiah 65 17 talks about the creation of a new heaven and a new earth so hence they had some idea in the background of an age that we were in and an age to come and that the age to come would be this creation of a new heaven and a new earth which does get echoed and repeated in the new testament and again that's something we will have to come back to but that it the, the, that was in their their heads of the people that john was preaching to and really i guess the populist expectation most commentators seem to agree on this was that the kingdom of heaven for the kingdom of heaven to be coming that that, that meant god was sending them a new political slash um, military leader that would lead them to throw off oppression and that's what they were thinking when like in John 6 they're trying to make Jesus king by force or in John 12 where he's coming into Jerusalem they're crying out he's riding on a donkey they say blessed is the king of Israel they expected him to create a political military force to restore their fortunes and of course we all know he didn't do that <laughs> um, so their expectations although rooted in at least an interpretation of Old Testament were not what Jesus did and were not what the kingdom of heaven is about and that created some real disconnect some real confusion um, and because as we already said Jesus Jesus went around preaching the kingdom he, he was also saying the kingdom of God is at hand so we're going to attempt to in the balance of the time we've got here just to look at a kingdom definition what is it uh, and maybe just dig a bit further into the nature of this thing called the kingdom of god or mostly in the book of matthew it's called the kingdom of heaven so uh, a respected author of yesteryear called watchman Nee defined the kingdom of god as this the kingdom is that realm which within which the will of God is carried out without any interference the kingdom of God is that realm within which the will of God is carried out without any 
interference. So I would suggest, based on Matthew 6.10, which is where we're praying for your kingdom to come, your will be done. And, and, and just to inform you, that's known as a poetic couplet. So it's two phrases that form a complete thought. So kingdom come, will be done on earth as it is in heaven is really saying that the realm of the, the kingdom is the place where the will of the father is done. It's done in an unhindered way. Uh, so that, that's kind of our first place. It's the realm of the unhindered will of the father, the, the realm where the will of the father is done unhindered and it's done his way. So it's on earth as it is in heaven. So if you like, God has a style, he has a culture, he has an approach. Um, and, and then secondly, it's the realm of the unhindered work of the spirit. So there's a few little pithy definitions of kingdom in the New Testament. And one of them is in Romans 14, 17. It says the kingdom uh, of God, the, or the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. So it's in the context of debate about should they eat food dedicated to idols and things that are forbidden in the realm of eating and drinking. Uh, and it's in that context that this scripture comes up, that where Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace of, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And the sentence structure means you can you you can legitimately and easily say the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. And obviously what flows from the Holy Spirit is this righteousness, this peace, and this, this joy. So the righteousness, peace, and joy bit is giving us a sense of what the flavor and nature of the kingdom is. But, and this Holy Spirit clause is telling us where who administers the kingdom, if you like. So... <laughs> The kingdom of God is the realm of the unhindered work of the Holy Spirit, which is why it's so important the church in this day and age and the individual believer has a great relationship with the Holy Spirit, not just a great understanding of the scripture. We, we both are really, really important. But the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. So that's number two. First is it's the realm of the unhindered will of the Father. Two, it's the realm of the unhindered work of the Spirit. And the third one is a little, perhaps a little more nuanced. As we mentioned already, the Gospel of John only mentions the kingdom twice. Once towards the beginning where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he basically says, you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. So Jesus talks about the kingdom there. And then towards the end where he's on trial, he says, my kingdom is not of this world, which is really what we're talking about here, they were expecting a more worldly approach, but what he did was not worldly at all. Um, and yet for the rest of that gospel, it doesn't mention the kingdom, whereas it's, as I said, it's over 50 times in Matthew, over 50 times in Luke. And I can't honestly remember how many times in Mark, but it's there because he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's demonstrating kingdom. He tells the parables of the kingdom, which we will we will get to. And yet, as we've already said, he's saying what he's hearing the Father say. So it's an important thing to the Father that we understand his kingdom. But the way John tells the story is that he says that, that Jesus says in John's narrative that he's displaying the heart of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm doing what I see the Father doing. I'm saying what I see the Father saying. So the, the heart of the Father is displayed through Jesus in 
the book of John in the Gospel of John. So I think we can clearly say that the heart of the Father displayed through Jesus is the kingdom of God manifesting on the earth. So the, the, the government of heaven, which we'll talk about in a minute, this word kingdom, is family, not military or political in its primary nature. Hence, and this is where it ties together in Matthew, Matthew, uh, where he teaches them to pray in the Lord's Prayer in 6.10 that we just looked at, says, Our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. So he's saying it's a Father's kingdom. And here in John, it's all about the Father. It's all about if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm the Father on display. I'm his exact representation of the Father. And there's nothing left out at all. There's no modification here. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I think we can legitimately say that the kingdom of God is a manifestation of the Father heart of God. The kingdom of God is a manifestation of the Father heart of God. That That's what's going on in the book of John. It's just not called the kingdom there in the same way as it is in Matthew, Mark and Luke. So quick summary and just bring some definition to this. It, the kingdom of God is the realm of the unhindered will of God. It's the realm of the unhindered work of the Spirit. And the kingdom of God is, is the manifestation of the Father heart of God. Now, of course, where these things happen unhindered primarily is in heaven itself. Hence the prayer, your kingdom come on, you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's already happening like that in heaven. But we're praying for it to happen like that in the earth so that the, that unhindered, undiluted nature of, of this heart of the Father, this kingdom ruled by a dad, would be displayed in an undiluted, unhindered form on the earth. Okay, but we're still using this word kingdom quite a lot. What do we mean by that? Well, the kingdom, in this sense, is not a geographical realm like the United Kingdom, where I live, is is primarily used to describe a landmass or a group of islands. Um, the United Kingdom, but the Kingdom of God isn't a geographic realm. It's not primarily a place or even a people group. It, it's 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 to get the idea of rule. Actually, the Greek word is basilai, and I'm not sure I'm even saying that right. But it's the reign or the rule or the kingly power of kingship or kingship. Pardon me. Luke 19, 12, there's a ruler who goes to receive a kingdom. Depends which translation you read, but the ruler goes to receive a kingdom. And this is literally to receive authority to rule in the place he already lives. So we're talking about rule and authority here. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the clout, if you like. It's the authority to make the thing happen, to see the will done. Um, and the kingdom of God is is happening where that is being received. So God the Father rules without hindrance in heaven, hence the kingdom of heaven, but not yet on earth, though he has the authority to do so, he does not enforce that authority. <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? And that harps right back to the idea of choice, which you get right back in Genesis. So, of course, God has always had the authority. He just chooses not to manipulate, bully, 
and bully people to, to receive it. He's looking for willing responses to this government. Um, and you see that reflected, again, we'll get to this, but you see that reflected in the parables of the kingdom, particularly the one of the parable of the soils, where it's talking about the kingdom of God, and then the different soils, there's the good soil, there's the soil that's rocky, there's the soil that's a bit shallow, and and you get this, the soil is the heart, and the success of the kingdom, or the word of the kingdom seed, is actually dependent on the on the reception, on the condition of the heart that receives it. Good to think about that. Um, so how do we know what that rule looks like? This is where we, we start to sort of get into this. Um, I, I think insights into heaven really help us. So the book of Revelation, other prophetic words, even, even our own... Uh, Encounters, as long as they don't take us outside of, of, of the boundaries of Scripture, can help us see something of the nature of heaven. Some of David's Psalms give us insight. Like we mention this often because I, I like it so much. In His presence, His fullness of joy. There's the, 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 some of the parables show us things about heaven. There's a lot of eating and drinking and reclining with the Father. It, 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 there's meals and all, there's something beautiful about that. And you also see in the ministry of Jesus, if he's primarily proclaiming and demonstrating this kingdom, he's proclaiming and demonstrating the heart of the Father. If we look carefully at the ministry of Jesus and then the apostles after him, as they, as they also announce the kingdom, then we'll see the nature of this kingdom of God. And it's primarily something that's life-giving. Jesus said, and we know this, I came that you may have life and life abundant. The devils come to steal and kill and destroy. And at that point, he sets up the tension and the com very conflict point that, that we're just going to, we're going to look at next. So it's contrasted and it's a conflict. There's, 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 no, there's no compromise here. There's no overlap between what's kingdom of heaven and what's kingdom of darkness. And so it's really important that this kingdom of heaven we're praying for to come, this kingdom of heaven that, that we are to proclaim and we are to demonstrate, this kingdom of heaven that represents the heart of the Father precisely um, and that is contained and demonstrates the will of the Father. We've got to realise that in our world it is colliding with something else. So the spiritual background really helps us as we explore further the idea of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God coming and being manifest on the earth. So there's no question that the satanic and demonic evil in our world, in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4, Satan actually claims power over the world that Jesus doesn't question. He says, if you bow down to me, I'm, I'm going to give you uh, these, these nations, implying that he had the authority to to do that and Jesus doesn't question it he doesn't submit to it it doesn't give way to that temptation um and we just see the function functioning of satan and his demons seeking to frustrate jesus you know and oppose him as he goes through the gospels now of course they don't succeed but they're there and and ephesians 6 tells us verse 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers 
against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So they're, they're rulers and authorities, they're unseen, but that doesn't mean they don't have some authority still in place. And Paul says uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he calls the devil the god of this age. Um, and Jesus talked about invading the strong man's house and, and plundering his goods in Matthew 12. So this idea that 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 we have to sort of walk with this tension that Jesus at the cross and the resurrection totally defeated the enemy and disarmed him and and took the keys and 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 recovered the power of, of death. That being said, the devil and his cohorts were not finally dealt with. He's actually left that job to us. So there is still a God of this age. There is still someone who is seeking to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what Jesus came against. And his, his whole ministry gets summed up in the book of Acts as this, that, that Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. So there is this opposition. There is this satanic kingdom and government, which is not equal to God's. It's not the, certainly not the same as God's. It doesn't have the same power. It's nowhere near equal in authority, but functions through the propagation, mainly the propagation of lies. So Jesus calls the devil the father of lies. And if he can get us to believe his lies, he can make himself appear bigger, more powerful, uh, more difficult to remove than is actually true. Um and these evil personalities destroy, distort the planet, destroy, distort people's lives, destroy and distort churches, destroy and dis distort ministries, destroy and distort governments, they destroy and distort children and women and men. They are relentless, they are bitter, they are angry, they are have a, only one thing in mind, and it's destruction. Whereas what we see in the ministry of Jesus is this bringing of life, of deliverance, of freedom, of health, of healing, uh, of provision. Um, and we see this wholesomeness, this, 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 this incredible wholesomeness being released in opposition to this incredible darkness. And so the kingdom of God is coming to earth and we're called to bring it. Uh, we're called to proclaim it, we're called to demonstrate it uh, in, in all its fullness, and we need to bring it to the whole earth, to every people group, uh, and, then, and then the end will come. Uh, and next time we're going to look at just more uh, information, actually more understanding of, of what that means, what the kingdom looks like, how we administer it, and we'll get to how it relates to church and justice and all those things so thanks for bearing with me on this and listening to the end of this and i just pray that we will be already we will be better at recognizing what is the kingdom of darkness and what is the kingdom of god and we would speak about it proclaim it and demonstrate it with faith and passion in jesus name god bless you thank you for listening Find us on Instagram, Facebook or search Hope Church Glasgow on your favourite podcast player.